Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. You're going to be just blown away here. We got a genius from MIT on the line, uh, Rob Turley from White Rabbit. And we're going to talk about how in the world can we leverage AI without spamming everyone, without, you know, spamming the TAM, as they say. And so there's a lot that goes into this. He's got his own podcast. He's one, running White Rabbit. He's very big on UX, UI, all kinds of product development, product ideas, product marketing. So this should be a pretty interesting topic. So with all that said, welcome, Rob. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Close with the MIT. I went to RIT. RIT, but, son of a gun, Rochester. Yeah, Rochester. Yeah. That's a huge difference. New York. My, the dean of my college would have just had a heart attack. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we'll, we, we could go back and edit that one. So, hey, blah, blah, blah. So, no, no, yeah. no, no. It's more funny this way. Let's there do you it. go. Let's do yeah. it. All right. So, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, only only a letter or two off, son of a gun. So, hey, uh, appreciate you jumping on here. And, you know, let's jump right into it because you have a pretty cool story with what you're doing. And, and I still don't fully understand it. So I'm really excited for this. You know, why in the world should we listen to you about leveraging an AI? And why is your particular AI in that top of the funnel work not spamming or, you know, like all of the other sales enablement and marketing enablement tools. Why should we listen to you on this? Well, the problem with sales and marketing uh, is that people have been treating sales as a numbers game for a really long time. How many people can we get in touch with? How many leads can we generate? How many touch points can we hit someone with? And that's caused a lot of problems. That's why phone numbers are getting blacklisted all the time. Emails are getting blacklisted all the time. Nobody wants to talk to each other. People fear the word salesperson. They don't even want to talk to salespeople. If salespeople are doing the job, they're helping somebody solve a problem. That's what a salesperson does. They shouldn't be selling people who don't need it. That's a disease that's been flying around sales for the longest time. If someone doesn't need your help or it's not going to benefit them, don't sell them because it lines your pocket. It's wrong. But really, it's just that people don't know how to target. And that's the problem. So there's a knowing doing gap, if you've ever heard of that before, the knowing doing gap. Okay. It's, you can know, but then if you don't do, you're not accomplishing. Or if you don't if you don't know and you just do, then you're not going to accomplish anything either. So what we're doing is that we automate the knowing so that you could do and you could do more. You could sell more, you can work more effectively. And it's not just a spray and pray sales method or spray and pray marketing method. Another issue with the marketing process is that marketing people have the innate ability to market to the people who are interested, not to the people who are qualified to buy. So they're generating interest. Interest is not intent. That's been misdefined for a very long time. If someone downloads a white paper, what was their intent? Their intent was exactly that, to download a white paper, nothing more. <laughs> yeah. So instead of, interest, instead of marketing to the people who are interested, Marketing to the people that their sales team has the ability to sell to is so important. And without, with that gap that's been made, um, interest doesn't pay the bills unless it's compound interest. And that's not how marketing <laughs> works. Yet they seem to think that's how it works. Uh, some of them don't. The really good ones don't. But um, if they have access to the sales data and the target that way, they could start marketing to that demographic, the people who do business with them. 
And then also being able to filter out these MQLs when you go to pass to an SQL, being able to see, okay, these 100 MQLs are good opportunities and the rest of them are a total waste of the sales team's time, throw them back into the marketing sequence or just ditch them because it's not a good fit. Sure, you got a lot of impressions. Sure, you got a lot of uh, comments. You got a lot of shares, whatever else. How many of those are turning into sales? Less than 1%. Well, yeah, and so we just were talking about that the other day. Uh, so it's dropped down to 1% on the MQL. I guess a couple of years ago, HubSpot had something out that it used to be 2%, so it's getting even worse out there. Now, let's go Let's go the antagonist. Rob, I've heard this before, right? You're, you know, I can just get all of this stuff off of a, off of a scorecard, right? I'm just going to score the lead. So what makes this different from scoring the lead? Because it sounds like a fancy way to do that. Yeah, I mean, scoring a lead is scoring a lead is scoring a lead. It depends on what you do. It depends on what math you use, and it depends on what you're trying to accomplish with it. Usually scoring a lead is what, um, out of the people that I do business with, what thing is the most in common? How many of the attributes just fit together in a line? Okay, do they have the same title? Do they work in the same industry? And it's just, it's a statistical regression model. That's what it is. Uh, it's really simple. It's like, okay, if the more things that line up, the higher the score is, but like if you really look at it down to the most granular level we're not we're not scoring that way um it doesn't matter if you sell to um i mean for example we've worked with people if i want to put this in a more realistic point of view from um one company we work with uh they were selling to marketing and advertising companies and they sold to pretty much 85 percent marketing and advertising companies so who's the best target marketing and advertising companies it's who we sell to it's who we've always sold to it's where we've seen the success we ran an ideal customer persona profile on that. And in two and a half minutes, we proved that they've been targeting the wrong people for the past four and a half years. The wow. people they have been actively avoiding for the past four and a half years are the people that they should have been targeting in the first place, which is computer software and IT and services companies. They couldn't believe it. They ran a five day outbound outreach campaign. And in those five days, and that was just a humorous, by the way. They're like, yeah, right. This isn't so they're in a five day outbound outreach campaign. They broke every single monthly outbound outreach campaign success record they've had since they started the business. Wow. In OK, we got a forty five hundred percent return in those five days in comparison to what they spent on data analytics. OK, so let's let's unpack that a lot. So they had that ideal customer profile. They were selling to them, and so they were really targeting those. And you're saying, no, 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 no. In looking at their data, so I'm I'm guessing that you're grabbing it out of their CRM. Uh, you know, whenever you you and I spoke offline, it was uh, pipeline. How long did it go? How far did it go in a pipeline? And all these other things. So they they took the, that information, and from that, using your your tool, this AI, they were able to find out. Holy crap, we're we're targeting the wrong people. Yeah, it's not about how many people you do business with. It's about what is the best path of least resistance? What is the lowest hanging fruit to get there? And it's further than just the account. So, okay, we target marketing and advertising companies. Most ideal customer personas, or if you can even call it one, it's about four to five layers deep. Okay, marketing and advertising firms that have 250 plus people that work there, that do 40 million plus in revenue per year. And um, we're looking for a director of marketing. Right. So okay. size, location, title, job function kind of thing. Right. And you've now narrowed down that list to what? 289,000 potential contacts. Right. That's not a target. <laughs> what even is that? It's, it's just a mess. And then you just contact every single freaking person 
until you get someone who will talk to you. And often it's a lot like a pitch right up front, but it's not about how many people you're doing business with or what companies you're doing business with. We look at it all the way down to the people level. Is this person a good fit for your company? What about this person? Going even deeper than that, what values do they have? What morals do they have? What are their aspirations? What are their interests? Because people buy from people that they like, that they trust, and that they can relate to. So what we are measuring is the ability to connect a person, a human being, to another human being at a personal level where they will resonate with one another because people buy from people. Okay, so, and this is like where it's boggling my head. How do we do that? I mean, I, I get the AI, but I mean, what you're talking about is those people where you'll just click, right? I just, we, we just click and hit it off. You're talking about leveraging the AI. I can get to the point where those people that I'm instantly drawn to or instantly have a connection to, ta-da, here you go. Now go sell, sell to them and they're going to buy from you because you'll have an instant, almost instant bond, instant trust building. And oh, by the way, they could kind of use this stuff. Is that, is that what you're saying? Because that sound doesn't yeah. sound like white rabbit. That sounds like black magic. Yeah, it does sound like black magic. A lot of people are skeptics um, and we get that all the time. But it, the proof is in the pudding. Use it. And so far, our ideal customer persona, knock on wood, it's never been wrong yet. Interesting. Okay, so walk us through that because the ideal customer persona, I mean, you'll spend hours and hours on this stuff, right? So all of these different job titles, I'm going to create my persona, you know, with their fancy little names and, and, and do that. What, how does AI do it better than what uh, a human would do it? I mean, it seems impossible because humans have those relationship. You're talking AI, artificial intelligence, doing a better job in relationship than what humans do. That seems insane. So building the relationship is not what the AI can do. And that's okay. why we need to stop automating the doing. All this automated outreach stuff, it's not helping anybody because people buy from people, not robots. It's a fact. Like the SDR, so many people say, oh yeah, we have these bots or these whatever that we can replace SDRs. That shit ain't going to happen. Just right. saying, right. no, it's not happening. Because if I get hit up by a bot instead of an SDR, you've lost me. I'm never going to talk to you. And I know a lot of other people who will tell you the same thing, uh, unless they're desperate for it or it's totally commoditized. Right. You need it. And there's a thousand choices out there. And then whoever hits you up first, boom, you got it. But um, that's the thing. It does it better because think of it this way. There are a lot of attributes behind a human. And how can you understand everything about a person? Well, you'd have to look at all their social media. You'd have to look at the blogs. You'd have to look at what they follow. You have to look at what posts they have out there. You need to see what the values and the morals of their company are. You need to understand everything that they've done, everything that they're doing, everything that makes them who they are. How long is that going to take? Well, it's going to take literally years for you to find out that much about a person and then be able to identify the patterns within that. So we're looking at trillions and trillions and trillions of patterns and we're doing pass fail that creates micro algorithms from those algorithms that are looking at the data to be able to decipher this pathway is the best pathway of least resistance. So think about games as a massive game of chess, massive game of chess. And we're looking at how to win in six moves versus how to win in 46 moves. And your probability of winning increases by 90, 90%. That type of a thing. Yeah. So looking at it as if it's a game of chess. And think about this too. Just because someone has a title, what does that mean? Let's say your best target is a CEO. Okay, that CEO has a background in what? Well, do you know? No, it's a CEO. It's a good fit. CEO of a financial <laughs> services company. Fantastic. Right. That's who we need to be targeting. It needs to be in the US and it needs to be a company that's 500 persons or greater. Yeah, so okay, I, I've so heard this before. What I, if they've... the CEO has a background 
in insurance. Is that a good fit? If he doesn't have a background in insurance, then it's probably not a good fit because they don't see the value in whatever product or service you're selling unless they come from a background in insurance or management consulting. Just because it's a CEO, what's the background of the person? It's not financial services. They just own a financial services company. What if their background is computer software? They won't see value in something that's like, you know, a personality uh, builder or a relationship building thing uh, because they're super and hyper analytical because they come from a computer software background. Therefore, that CEO to financial services company that's 500 people or greater that does 40 million plus in revenue is no longer a good fit. That person's never going to buy from you because they don't see value in the product or your approach. That's interesting. So in reality, then you're able to use AI. If I'm understanding what you're saying here, then Rob, you're able to use AI to scrape everything. I mean, your digital footprint that's out there to get, I mean, insanely scary big brother watching kind of thing. Because if you're watching my blogs, if you're if you're seeing what I'm doing on YouTube, if you're seeing what I'm doing, all of these other places, you know more about me than likely I do. Yeah, that can happen. It just depends, though, if the data is publicly available. So okay. it, it, it all just determines on how hefty their digital footprint is and if the data is available in a GDPR compliant and a CCPA compliant way. It needs to fit international data privacy law. Okay. There are some people that when you run contacts through a system that we cannot score them. The reason why is because it's inconclusive. We actually strip that data from the system because we don't want to lie to people saying this is not a good fit or this is a good fit if we don't know enough. Yeah. So we don't return the contact. Simple as that. Interesting. So, I mean, in reality, then, if you're able to do all of this in the in appropriate ways, you can really understand their cognitive bias, right? Just like you pointed out, if I don't, if I have a cognitive bias because of my background or how I've my environment that shaped me into who I am to create this this mindset, um, if I can't align that or if I don't understand it, then I'm not going to pursue you because you're never going to find value in this. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Right, right. And, it, and where you're from, too, that's a big one as well. It's not where the company exists. It's where's that person from. If they're from, let's say, Louisiana, they're going to have more conservative values. And if they're from New York, they're going to have more progressive values. That's usually how it's going to line up. But then, of course, their interests and their values also line up differently as well. Um, so we'll see, okay, they're from here and they have these specific types of values, they're going to be a good fit for a more progressive product or a more new age product, such as artificial intelligence. Right. Our, our target is for ourselves, we eat our own dog food, of course, it's far more progressive people. Um, we also sell to 83% male because men are 88% more likely to uh, adopt an early stage technology. So we can see things like that. So when we target women, we only have about a 22% chance of, of actually um, selling to them over a man. And that's in the sense of the, uh, uh, the ability to adopt uh, newer technology. Men are more inherently, uh, uh, men inherently are willing to take a greater risk. And you can thank testosterone for that. <laughs> Literally, it's a chemical thing. Yeah. So it makes more sense for us to target men. It makes more sense for us to target people with a computer software background, a management consulting background, people who are problem solvers, people who are more logical. So if it's people that are more on the emotional spectrum, it's not a good target for us because it's something that they cannot believe that, that, that it can outperform a human being. So it just depends. It depends on what you're looking at. But then again, if a woman has certain values or runs a certain company or comes from a certain background or certain place, everything like that, then it's a very good fit because yeah. we have plenty of clients that are also women. It just all depends. And there's no reason to just cancel something out just because of one assumption.
Right. Interesting. Okay, so so let's get let's take it down maybe a, a a deeper level here. So we're able to understand their cognitive bias because we're able to get into their um, psychographics is really what you're basing this off of, correct? Well, psychographics, pharmacographics, geographics, demographics, and some behavioral, but we found that behavioral data is pretty much garbage when it comes to the B2B space. Okay. Because what does someone's activity on a computer or a phone have anything to do with a business's decision? Right. Okay. So, <laughs> but now all of the other tools, um, and I don't want to say all, but most of the other tools then out there, Rob, are only looking at one tranche of that information at, at a time. Is that right? Yeah. Usually it's behavioral data. Uh, behavioral data it's an incredible thing, but it's incredible for B2C because business to consumer, consumers love to impulse buy shit, excuse my language, but they love <laughs> to impulse buy shit. Okay. That's what it's good at predicting because if you get that ad out in front of them within an hour in the exact right spot, they're going to impulse buy that thing, right? They're going to buy it. They're like, oh, I need these shoes or, oh, I need that watch or, oh, I need these speakers or whatever else it may be. Um, when it comes to a business, they're not going to go, oh, we need this right now. And then boom, just buy it right there. No, it needs to get approved by at least two to three persons before anything happens. And they are, they have completely different behavioral patterns that have nothing to do with it. Also trying to measure based off behavioral patterns, if someone's ready to buy or not, there's no way to tell if it's a competitor, just checking out your tech. There's yeah. no way to tell if it's someone who's just interested in that technology. I mean, for example, I love kayaks. I'm very interested in kayaks. They probably wasted maybe $6,000 in targeted advertising kayaks to me. But guess what? I will never freaking buy one ever. <laughs> Tell you that right now. Never going to buy one. Yet I look them up all the time. I get ads for them all the time. They are just dumping money into me because of my behavior. There's a story there some, some other time, but I'll come back to that. Um, now, all right. I, I have a complex sale. Multiple decision makers in here. Long drawn out sales cycle. Um, so you can target one person. So this won't, this won't work on a complex sale, right? Oh, yes, it will. So this is one of the best parts. You're going to love this. So in an enterprise sale, a complex enterprise sale, there are approximately, after 2020, um, there's, it went from 9 to 11, but there are approximately 11 influencers involved in the sale that are going to influence the deal, yes? Yeah, that's a ton. I'm just shaking my head that that's, that's an amazing amount of people. Yes, 11 people are going to influence the deal. So when you're approaching this company, you're doing the research behind them and everything account-based, you understand, okay, this is a good company to fit. Like humans are great at seeing what company needs to buy it because uh, software companies need financial software. Wow, congratulations, everybody knows that. So it's pretty easy to find out they do need something like that. That's just an example. So <clears throat> out of those 11 people that are influencers, who do you target first? A lot of people go straight for the person with the buying power. They got their hand in the pocketbook, right? So is that the best approach? Well, usually the budget holder is going to be the blocker. Why would you contact the blocker first? They're trying not to spend money. They're trying to keep the deal from happening. So yeah. contacting that person's not always the best person or contacting the person who has the closest tie to them. Let's say it's the CEO, not always the best fit either. You may want to contact who isn't even a decision maker, but they're an influencer, the VP of sales. The VP of sales is the best fit for you where you'll resonate with them so that you can transform them into a champion you can defend them, use the three P's, protect, you know, uh, protect, provide, and uh, I can't remember the third one, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it sounded pretty good. <laughs> so it's uh, you can, you can target people based off of who's going to be the best fit to sell to. And then those relationships will start getting built within the company. It is more powerful to champion someone who's an influencer so they could sell internally to their own company because who are they going to trust a salesperson? 
that they just met, or they're going to trust the person, Frank, who's coming to work and has been a colleague with them for 10 years, selling to them internally. So how do you approach that deal and who fits with your personality profile the best? That's who you should be talking to. And then who fits best next with that? Or even finding out this salesperson at my company is a better fit for Frank than this other salesperson. Therefore, this person should make the approach, talk to them, and then the other people can come in who are the best fit to the others as the deal starts moving forward so you can champion the right people and get yourself into that deal from an extremely strategic standpoint. So interesting. So not only do we do team selling based upon their specialty, but now we can do team selling if I had the, the sales team big enough to do this, to put George because he's really good with this type of personality and Susie over here with that type of personality and blend that uh, blend that approach so we have a, a better odds of winning this. That's that's pretty interesting thought there. Yes. Um, oh, okay, now let's go down to the, the other side of the coin. Listen, I just we're not going to target the champion. We're going after the decision maker. We're going after the person with a pocket. Why should I absolutely go against all the wisdom that's ever been taught in every single sales, you know, sales training class um, from the beginning of the time? Why am I going to change it up based upon what AI is saying? I mean, how should I believe this? It's not about believing it. It's about knowing that the math is correct. Rather than making a sales has been assumption game for the longest time. You can only do as well as you could do because it's what your predecessors taught you. It's what they thought. It's not what they knew. They just, okay, I've targeted this person and they've ended up buying it. And that's the decision maker. So that to a human being, it seems that it's the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is not always the path of least resistance. It's the, it's the path with the most, you know, block in it. It makes it harder to close that deal. And then in the end, those influencers, if they're untouched, since there's 11 influencers that are gonna influence the deal, if you have not been nurturing the deal and talking to that sales director, who's a huge influencer on this deal, you didn't even know that they're an influencer on this deal, they could always say no. That influencer, the whole deal goes sideways. How do you? How are you supposed to know that? Well, there is no way to know that. Yeah. Well, okay, so if I'm targeting champions, and I have a, a size, uh, a, you know, 11, 11 people to go after it, or if even if I'm in a small to mid size, those are, it seems like those are even jumping up too. instead of one or two, it's now it seems to be up to three to five. I don't know if you have stats on that. But is that yes. fairly accurate? Yep. It, it's so mid market, larger mid market companies, it's five. And then uh, smaller mid market companies, it's three to five. Yes. Okay, got it. So no matter what, we have multiple people in here. And so we only have so much time. I kind of know where this is going, but I'll ask a question in this regard anyway. How can we keep up with it? I mean, there's so many people, if you're three to five or up to 11, how can we keep up with this, especially if I'm going after champions? I mean, this seems like it's going to take forever and I have to now five, 11 fold my output. That seems impossible. Well, no. Um, the thing is, is that the budget holder or the decision maker, the end decision maker might also be the best fit. The thing is, is that you can you can see and you may find out that the CEO is going to be the best person to talk to for you. And that is the same approach that you were doing before, but then you can understand the other moving pieces in it. But often you're going to find that it's not the person that you think it is, but they're still going to be a decision maker. Often, more often times than not, they're going to be a decision maker, but it's not going to be the decision maker that you assumed is going to be the best decision maker. If none of the decision makers are a good fit, your chances of closing that deal just by going for it are going to be extremely slim. 
So starting at that lower level person who you can champion is going to be the best possible way because it's going to make it less complicated. You've already sold someone in the company. Now they're selling your product throughout their company. So these decision makers will get involved. Sure, you may add a layer to it, but then now you have a fighting chance to close the deal. Yeah, and, and the other, and I wasn't expecting you to go that way, um, where I was expecting you to go, because in the conversation that we had in the past, one thing that you, you alluded to is that we can take 4,000, 10,000 records and identify, hey, of these 4,000, 10,000 records, uh, to use the Queen's English, there ain't many people in there that are going to, that, that you should be calling. So can you talk to me a little bit about that, please? Sure, sure. So the reality behind a list of 10,000 prospects, let's say it's 10,000 for the sake of math, about two and a half percent or 250 of those contacts are going to be an opportunity. About seven and a half percent or 750 of those contacts are going to be a, eh, maybe, and then about 90% or 9,000 out of those 10,000 contacts are going to be a total waste of your time. Even if it's in line with your ideal customer, looking much deeper than that at the individual individualized standpoint is going to change that. So you're going to see that 2.5% opportunity, 7.5%, eh, maybe, and then 90% total waste of your time. So being able to automatically eliminate the bad fit prospects is something that artificial intelligence can do. That's something we do every single day. That's why our company exists. So it's expediting that process. I mean, we've had companies working with us decrease their cost of new customer acquisition by 90% in two weeks. Say that again, because most people don't even freaking know how to do that. Or they don't even know what a true customer acquisition cost is. So hit that again. Yeah, well, customer acquisition cost, define it first. That is all of the time, resources, and labor that goes into acquiring a new customer. That includes salespeople reaching out and doing all that stuff. The cost of new customer acquisition isn't just, oh, you bought them something to make them happy, or you spent money on some collateral or some advertisement click, you know, PPC cost or whatever. No, no. It's mostly in the labor, meaning the average time that a salesperson spends in front of an actual opportunity, not a sale, an actual opportunity is one out of eight hours in the day. Yeah. That means well, seven eighths of the time you are throwing a stack of cash at an empty office chair in the form of a salary. So I was just going to say, yeah, and I'll hit that in a second. But one, one crazy thing is people are still trying that cost of goods sold. There is no cost of goods sold whenever you're a lot of these technology and SaaS products. I mean, it, it that old way of doing it is completely out the window. And what you're really hitting on here is you have to take everything, the, the technology costs, the labor costs, the time involved, all of these, I mean, everything, the all in, that's the cost. And then you divide that total cost or total expense by your, um, by your, is it quantity or revenue? Uh, quantity, like the number of deals or revenue, I guess, right? Well, the cost of new customer acquisition, that's going to be the cost. And then you would divide it by uh, however many customers. Yeah. It's different. You're talking about return. So return or profit coming from it, that's a whole different story. Um, so that's net revenue, right? So from the gross is what you're really looking at. It's not about how expensive that customer is to keep on and everything. That's more of a customer maintenance thing, but the cost of new customer acquisition, no matter what your product sold for, no matter what sale you had, it's just the number of sales divided. So you would you would take the uh, overall amount you've done uh, for spend, spend on uh, acquiring new customers and then divide it by how many customers that you landed from that process. Okay, got it. So total, total expense divided by, um, divided by the number of customers. Yep, the number of new customers that you close yeah. with that expense. 
Okay, sorry, I misspoke there. Okay, got it. Now, so we have that two and a half to seven and a half percent. We're spending all of this money on for the customer acquisition cost. And then to make matters worse, of that two and a half plus seven and a half, so that's a total of uh, what is that, 10? Yep. 10% of the market? Um, what? You're going to have about two and a half to three and a half percent of those people even picking up. So you're a ton of work just to get those. And if you haven't filtered out that 90% that's never even going to buy from you, my guess is that's kind of where the power of this is. You, you, you just whack 90% of this and you can have a lot more hyper focus. So you don't need maybe all the technology. You don't need all the headcount. So there seems to be a ton of benefit that come from this. Oh yeah. No, there's a lot of redundancy that it pulls out of the process. So it's not just a lot of the cost of new customer acquisition is not just you're contacting these people. It's everything else in between. It's the marketing budget, everything like that. So, I mean, we are, we've had cases where we've cut cost of marketing uh, spend by 65% because wow. we're able to filter out all of the nonsense, all of the garbage. I mean, imagine being able to take all your MQLs and then sift through them. Okay, these are actual SQLs. Then they get passed to the sales team because this is why the sales team hates the marketing team because the marketing team's just passing them a bunch of garbage, wasting their time. And this is why the marketing team hates the sales team because you know they're getting all this engagement yet the sales team isn't closing any deals. Huge yeah. disconnect. People, the marketing people will say this till the day they die, saying that oh, sales team needs to listen to the marketing data. Well, I would actually argue the opposite. The marketing team needs to listen to the sales data. You know why? Because the marketing team's job, their job is to feed sales to the sales team. Yeah, That's not happening. It's at a 1% rate. What does that well, even mean? Yeah, keep going. What, what does it even mean? What do you mean? Oh, so what does it even mean is that they are so off base on just marketing to the people who are interested. Interest doesn't pay the bills, like I said before, unless it's yeah. compound interest. And that's not how marketing works. Yeah, so... If I'm marketing, let me let me try to correlate this question because you, where you were going off of that. If I'm marketing, the I think it was Marcus the 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 podcast I was listening to him the the pay per click and everything else. Isn't there something like a ninety eight percent wasted spend in there off of the pay per click and some of the other things going on right now? Yep. It's about 98%. And uh, I, I know another buddy who's in the uh, artificial intelligence space. They actually build the real stuff. There's only like a handful of us that build the real shit. Um, but uh, he did a whole thing where, uh, you know, PPC, the, when people click ads, did you know that 91% of clicks are bots? So talk to us a little bit about that, because that was a, this is the first time that I've heard of it whenever I was listening to Marcus on, on that episode. Um, so it, check out, it's called The Inquisitor, right? The Inquisitor yep. Podcast. So check out Marcus Couchy. It was uh, episode number eight on our show, uh, The Inquisitor. Great, great episode. I want to say it was like 103 or 113, something like that. I can't remember, but check it out. Um, we'll put it in the show notes here. But um, so what are these bots doing? Is Are they just trying to drive up traffic for the, the advertisers or what are these bots all about? Oh, no, they're just data scrapers. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You know those phone calls that you get? It's the same thing with phone calls. You get a phone call, you pick it up, and then there's no one on the other line. And then it's just it just hangs up, and then you're like, what the hell was that? That's just a bot validating your phone number. Son of a gun. Yep. If you pick up, they know it's real, then you're going to start getting cold calls. Son of a gun. So, And then the funny thing is... Um, you know, then you look at Apple and what they're doing. I mean, there's so much technology that's preventing that from happening. So legitimacy, going back to what you started off with, good salespeople solve problems. 
And now they, they can't even, if I can't talk to you, I can't get you to realize that maybe you even have a problem because how many people even know that this stuff exists? I mean, if you knew about it, you would have done something about it already. So it's just insane how to, how to do this. All right, so kind of wrapping this all up, I mean, let me sum this up, make sure I got it. We're able to take all of your data, scrub it through our AI filters, through multiple different, you know, um, firmographics, psychographics, um, behavioral, blah, 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 all of this stuff, able to identify exactly who to target, who to put on on your team, who to put on because backgrounds align to have the best likelihood of winning a deal. So AI is going to allow me to cut marketing by 60 some percent, cut headcount by who knows, cut my technical debt by how much, who knows, because I'm able to be a lot more targeted and strategic and maybe spend more time to build relationship and bring an actual value because I can invest that time and effort because I know it's going to end up likely winning. Is that kind of a good summary of what we just talked about here? Yeah, by kind by cutting 90 to 95% of the fat out of the process, that's exactly what you're going to do. The salespeople are going to be under less stress. They can now focus on people. They're not having too many conversations and missing opportunities. They can now do their job build the relationships and make sure that it happens. And that's the biggest part about it. That's why we're not here to replace humans. We're here to make them more actionable. We're here to make them more profitable. We're here to help them do their jobs so salespeople can do what they're best at again. Have conversations and, and solve problems. That's right. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay, so that would then change up. I'll go down a deeper level here. That's gonna change up the type of person that I hire. Right, because now it's not the stereotypical salesperson, the clad handing, hey, how you doing, right? And the professional visitor, but it's really now a trusted advisor, problem solver that has business acumen. So I can get a more well-rounded professional type person to, to solve business problems. It seems like that would be the path that this would take. Yes, and one of the biggest weaknesses in the sales world is the ability to solution, executive presence, as well as competence and confidence. Yeah. Those things are missing. And being able to solution is everything a salesperson needs, where if you don't have good solutioning skills, then you're probably not gonna be that great at selling. You're just an SDR at that point. You're just trying to have conversations as many as possible. Those are the numbers game people. They're just trying to play as many, play the numbers games as best they can, trying to find somebody who's a sucker to buy something. Yeah. We don't All need right. that. So you were at RIT, RIT, uh -huh. uh, and then so with engineering background, right there, that, that's kind of um, that comes naturally. You're taught that. So how can we teach that to salespeople? What is what are maybe some solutioning that we that we need for um, salespeople, or how can they practice that? Or another way of asking that is how can we identify that a salesperson actually has that? That would just be based off of their behavior. I mean, it's behavioral goals. And when it comes to hiring people like that, it's not about, okay, who have you sold to? What's the largest deal you've ever sold? All those like standard, you know, just statistical based things. You should be asking behavioral based questions. And that's something Marcus will tell you that Marcus Kauke, he'll tell you that the whole time. It's just all behavioral based things. Can they solve a problem? Give them a problem to solve. Uh, ask them about a sale that they've made before that was a large sale. It doesn't matter how much money the sale was. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. What matters is that how did you treat it? What were the steps that you took? 
how, how, how did it end up closing? Uh, what did you do to get them to where they were? And it's asking them about how they treated the person throughout the deal and made it happen in the first place. And that's an important thing. Or give them a logic problem. How, do you, how did you solve this? What's the biggest problem you had at work? And how did you solve that problem? What were the steps that you took? So rather than saying, yeah, I closed this deal, whatever. Okay, they could have had a lot of people involved with that deal. It may have not even been them that did it. Ask them what they did and then ask them to tell the story in reverse. If you can't tell the story in reverse, you didn't do it. You're lying. Ah, interesting. That's a great, great little takeaway there. And, and that behavioral interviewing, that's one of the things that we really, really hit on without being able to get that behavioral interviewing prowess for your hiring managers, you're in trouble, right? Because, and to your point, Rob, if they can't give specifics, they're making stuff up and you can spot them like that because let's face it, you know, even bad salespeople tend to interview well, so you have to be able to do those behavioral interviews. So love it, love it, love it. All right, so let's wind, let's start to wind this thing down because this is really, really interesting. Um, I mean, how ubiquitous is this out there? I mean. Do you see this getting growing? Are you the only one doing this, Rob? I mean, how have we not heard of this before? Because this seems too good to be true. Our biggest weakness is marketing. So getting your name out there. Also the trust, because it's something new. Um, people in the B2B world, uh, they like things that are familiar. This is the opposite of familiar. <laughs> really, yes. Yeah. This is taking everything that you've learned and then throwing it in the garbage. Um, so it makes it hard for people to accept it. Though... Yeah, no, it's just marketing, getting the word out there and building that trust in the market. I guess uh, product validity, uh, but um, we have not yet had a complaint. So that speaks for itself. But getting it out there, getting people to use it, getting people to trust it, that's the thing. And uh, my goal is make this into a multi-billion dollar company by the end of 2023. Wow, that's impressive. And so with the co-founder uh, title on there, that's pretty darn cool. That would be very exciting for you. Now, let me take a a little bit of a pivot on your on your LinkedIn. You have a, a different uh, funnel on there. So I've been talking a lot about RevOps, talking a lot about this idea of marketing, right? The, the 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 blending of sales and marketing. As it How, should be. OK, got it. So and it's a blending. It's not sales marketing alignment. My sense, it really has to be a one funnel marketing funnel how does all of this tie in? Can you maybe help me see that picture? Oh, you're going to like this. So the way I look at sales and marketing is that it's like a small engine. Think okay. about a weed whacker or think about a chainsaw or something like that. So you got a pull start, small engine. Sales is the pull start. You could pull that thing all you want and it might start, but it's going to suck. Right? <laughs> marketing is the primer. You press the primer a couple times and then it'll pull start right away. Maybe one, two pulls are good to go and it starts up like a smooth, well-oiled machine. And then the customer success, that's going to be the regulator on there. That's the throttle. So you're going to adjust the throttle so it can continue to run. And then beyond that will be the product team or the services team or the engineering team, everybody like that. That's the engine. Make sure that it's a well-oiled machine and that it's kept up to snuff. So every time you run it, it's going to run smooth and it's going to continue to run without breaking, right? So it's just all a small engine. All those pieces intertwine. The way that I look at a business, and this is why I do sales solutions architecture and just, well, I come from a standard solutions architecture background. So it's making things work together to work in the most efficient and effective way possible based off of what the requirements and what the needs are and what, the, what you're trying to accomplish is. So I work with many companies doing this stuff and I do sales solutions architecture now. So how do these things all fit together 
as a network system. When you break something down, let's say a small engine, that's a really complex thing. There's a lot of different moving parts. There's a lot of pieces to it and everything. But when you break it all down, all it is is a couple pieces of metal and really simple, tiny things that are working together, different tubes, different pieces of metal, cylinders, and so on and so forth. Really, really basic things. So anything that is a, you know, an ugly beast of complication, if you break it down to the smallest pieces, it's all just a bunch of tiny little pieces that are super simple working together. It's right. the same thing in a business. It's the same thing in anything. So when you break it all down, you could build it back up in the most efficient way possible. So sometimes you need to take the whole damn thing apart in order to make it and function properly. So that's what I do with sales and marketing is that I break it all down to the tiniest pieces and I put them together and see how everything fits. Once you can see how everything fits, you can have it run as a smooth, well-oiled machine. Well, so that, that's an interesting topic because how are you getting people to even admit to the fact that the way they have it now is inefficient? I mean, that's getting people to admit that they have a problem is oftentimes the hardest thing. So how is how are you doing that one? Problem solving. So solutions architecture. I, I, so my solutions architectural background I'm, is able to pour into uh, my sales process, right? Okay. So I'll ask questions like this. So Brian, um, what? How many people are you contacting every week? What do you, What does that look like? Right. So thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred a, a week. Thirteen hundred. Okay. And how many of those turned into sales? So you know, out of that thirteen hundred sales cycle, you know, you're going to get, um, you know, we. About 10, well, the way it's running now, about 10 a month. About 10 a month? And you're doing 1,300 a week? Correct. Okay, so let's say you're doing about 5,000. You're contacting about 5,000 people a month. You're closing about 10 a month. If you look at that, that is, point, that is a 0.5% close ratio. Contact, uh, yeah. So 0.5% close ratio. So the market statistic average is 2.5% close ratio from cold outreach. That means you would need to 5X that in order to get to the market statistic, the standard market statistic industry-wide. Okay. Okay. Um, that is an improvement that's going to be needed. So out of those, so out of those 5,000 people, how many can you successfully set a meeting with? Okay. So out of 1,300, let's say uh, every 1,300, you're going to get it, say three to six meetings. Three to six meetings, and then you're closing 10 people total. So three to six meetings, let's say five meetings each. You have four weeks in the month, and then you have 20 people. So 20, and then you close 10. So your close ratio is 50% on that cold outreach. Right. For people who are willing to meet with you. Now, what have you done to try to improve those numbers? Yep. So top of the funnel list. Uh, so it, it's really been list cleanliness, right? And our list cleanliness is people that actually pick up the phone. Got you. Got you. And how do you know who to contact when you call them on the phone? We do it the old fashioned way, right? We like meets this criteria and blah, blah, blah. And what are you doing to market to these people to get them interested? Uh, not a whole lot right now. We're, we're still uh, cranking up the marketing machine. So it's almost all cold outreach and um, content marketing through, you know, LinkedIn or whatever the case may be. Got you. So the people who are willing to set up meetings and how many people actually pick up the phone, would you say? It's uh, so whenever you're starting off, this is why it's kind of funny what you're talking about. It's two and a half to three and a half percent off of a very cold list. And then you warm it up from there. Okay, for sure. So two and a half to three and a half percent. So you have about a three percent successful contact ratio, right? Out of those three percent, what is the percentage that you are able to successfully connect and set up a meeting with them? Well, you have it as a one percent. That's what that turned into. So that means one third of the people that you call, which is not bad are going to be that, right? They're going to actually set up a meeting with you. Out of those people that set up a meeting with you, you have a half a percent close rate. So 
after they set up a meeting with you and you talk to them, that's half percent right there. So 3% to 1% to half percent. You see all that fat from those 5,000 people that you're contacting? Yeah. If we were able to shave that off and remove 90% of it, what would that do for your business? Got it. Well, and, and so I get that, but getting to the, okay, so that's what you're saying there is, and by the way, I'll challenge most of you out there. I might've been a little bit off of my numbers there, but it's typically gonna be an eight first time ever appointments to one closed one that first time around. And then as you're going through that cycle time, it's gonna get better and better and better. Um, or if you're more complex, like we we're talking about the 11 influencers, you're about a 14 to one. Um, so those numbers are more or less right. But if you don't know those numbers, and I would challenge most of you out there don't really know those numbers, you're, you're messed up because now you talk to a guy like Rob, you don't have those numbers, you don't know how to fix it, right? So you better know your numbers. Um, and I'm just going off the top of my head and we've made such no, a massive- that's fine. Yeah, but that's we fine made, because you're, you're gonna be close enough. That's the yeah. thing, you're gonna be close enough. So it, a half percent success rate, I mean, the people that we've worked with, that's turned into 12%. Nice. 12%. Well, it, I mean, what's the difference there? And and then also shaving out all those people not to call because it's so it's not just a spray and pray anymore. It sounds like there's a targeting issue. That's what it sounds like. Because if only half a percent are doing business with you out of the 5,000 people that you're contacting, it sounds like there's a serious, serious issue with targeting. Who are these people that you're targeting? How do we target that half a percent to begin with? Well, we could take a look at that entire demographic, that ecosystem of customers who work with you, and we can identify more leads like that so we can correct your lead gen process. You can go to a lead gen provider, you could do LinkedIn data scraping, whatever you can do. Uh, from there, what you could do is that you now have a list rather than only half a percent are qualified, you get more to like 5%, 6%, 12% are qualified. And then you can shave down all of that before you even reach out to them to identify the opportunities. Once you have identified those, those top 10%, you can call them and then you'll see that ratio increase and improve exponentially. Then from there, it will keep learning and learning. And then your system, the way that you're doing this, it gets better and better over time as you consider to warm it up, as you continue to warm it up and do all that. So we have both of those things improving over time so we can get those numbers to a place where you want them to be without all the labor behind it. Yeah. So let's let's go the other way. OK, so let's pretend I didn't use you. OK. Um, there's a couple of levers that I could push on. One is a list, which we just talked about. Uh, what would you say to, okay, so list, we get that list. Uh, what would you say to the person? Well, it's really messaging. So list is targeting. Well, I'm, my target's good. It's really messaging. What would you say to the person with a that says, no, it's really messaging, Rob? I would argue that their target's not good because of the messaging that they're putting out about their product or about what they offer isn't great for who they're targeting, then um, the target's off. Because if your messaging isn't working, you're not targeting the right people for the messaging to resonate with. And that's where the gap with marketing comes from, is that they adjust the messaging to really fit the demographic that you're so good at targeting. And then guess what? The close ratio is minimal because you've now adjusted the messaging to appeal to people who are not gonna buy. Interesting. Okay, so it's, it's either the, the market, the target, it's either the message, which we're saying no, if we have the right target or the right market going after, it wouldn't be it. So then I'm gonna blame the messenger. It's a salesperson, they stink at selling. That's why we're not closing this stuff. Well, if someone just handed you a list of 5,000 contacts to close them all, what would you do? <laughs> is is yeah. that really the salesperson? Is that not overwhelming? Yeah, so, um, so we hit market. So, so this is my argument is that a poor, a poor craftsman blames their tool. Their tool is their salesperson. Yeah. 
Okay, so well, no, it's it, it, I have a great salesperson. I have a great marketing team with great messaging. We know our market. We just can't reach anyone. It's well, the, that's it's where the I'd channel. Argue too, is that you think you know your market? So we've worked with some of the best of the best sales consulting and sales coaching companies out there, gold standard, and we've proved in two and a half minutes of data processing that they've been targeting the wrong people for years. They teach people how to target and sell for a living. That's all they do, and they're the best at it. Yeah. So it's not about knowing, it's about thinking, you know, and that's the thing. It's turning the sales and marketing process into a perfect mathematical equation. It is just math. So you're really screwing with people, including me. Um, so, <laughs> right. So you're saying, Hey, listen, um, it's not the, it's not your channel. It's not your message. It's not your messenger, the salesperson. It's all about your market that target. And by the way, you have no flipping idea how to identify your target if you're not using us. Uh, people that are world renowned, like you said, gold standard, they thought they knew what they were doing and we were able to improve it by some insanely um, insane amount. Is that kind of what you're saying here? Yeah, exactly. Right. And this is where it starts to get fun too. So you can even do our targeting uh, methodology for the individual salesperson, a sales team and company wide. So you can see what your ideal uh, customer persona for your company is. You can see what your ideal customer persona for a team is. And then you can see what an ideal customer persona for an individual salesperson is. Yeah. So you can start weeding out the people that aren't a good fit for your sales team because you can start seeing the ideal customer that this salesperson is able to reach out to is not a fit for our company. Therefore, they probably shouldn't be selling this product. Could you, could you flip this thing on its head and, and leverage this for hiring? Uh, so that's actually something we're going to be getting into soon. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's marketing is that marketing funnel sales funnel uh, and hiring funnel is really one and the same. There's so much of it is, is similar. So I love that. Okay. We just got to tweak it, man. So yeah. that's going to be happening within this year or the beginning of next year, we're going to have this for recruiting. So yeah. Now. Okay. So we, we, we identify the target and we get all that down after we've really targeted, have the right target then, how important is the is the message is the channel the medium through which we're sending them the message and um how important is the messenger so once we really identify the target how impactful are those other three the mess the, the message the messenger and the the channel well, well if you look at it like a system of cycles and a network yeah. your, your business the target is is powering everything else that you're doing so once you get the target right, the inconsistencies that are left over are going to be the sub issues, the problems that are happening where you're going to see improvement in all of that stuff once you get the target proper. But once you get the target proper, then you're going to see, okay, the messaging isn't working for the proper target because we're actually looking at the demographic of people who do business with us. Right. If the messaging is not resonating with them, that means the messaging is off. Often you'll find that the messaging is not off. Um, so it just depends. But those are sub issues. It's like trying to... Let's say you have a, a, a leak in your kitchen, like the pipe is leaking. Sure, you could put duct tape on it, but really what's happening, it's a pressure issue. So you need to solve that pressure problem because that's the root cause. You'll have to keep replacing the duct tape and putting on the Band-Aid, putting on the Band-Aid, putting on the Band-Aid until it blows up. Right. And that's the thing. That's the problem. But the problem looks like it's fixed when you put the duct tape around it. So often the messaging, changing the messaging, that's just putting a Band-Aid on it. So then all of this A-B testing is really pointless because I'm A-B testing. It's like um, I'm A-B testing. I'm, I'm using a bucket to bail myself out of an ocean. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting.
Well, son of a gun, this has been uh, depressing, Rob. Uh, you just <laughs> pointed out I suck, right? So uh, I appreciate no, that. No, it's so not you. It's just a lot of data. It's too much for humans to actually deal with. That's the thing. Yeah. We should. The knowing should be done by AI. The reason why is because it can recognize trillions of patterns. I mean, do you know how long it takes to count to a trillion? If you just went one, two, three, four, five, six, it's recognizing trillions of patterns. To count to a trillion, it takes approximately 13,800 years. I was going to say a lifetime, but a couple more more times than that, huh? Yeah. Jeez, oh man. All right. Well, oh my gosh, this has been incredible, Rob. I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Glad that we were able to connect up here. So let's let's rapid fire these couple of things because we want to be cognizant of time. By the way, Rob is cool enough. He's been like getting crushed through life. Um, <laughs> just finally got some sleep. So he was willing to do this on a Saturday. So a lot of fun stuff here. So uh, one lesson learned that you see everybody out there that we should avoid? I mean, what are you seeing the biggest mistakes that people are making whenever it comes to this so we don't do it ourselves? Um, define the type of mistake. Meaning the, the type of mistake in my question or that that person needs to define the type well, of mistake? Well, what needs to be improved? What mistakes being made? Well, in around uh, business challenges. So whenever you're looking at sales, top of the funnel, that alignment of sales and marketing, or even leveraging an AI, you get to pick. So in and around those topics, what's the one, you know, the biggest thing that you see time and time again, people screwing up on? People think they know what they think they know. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's assumption. Assumption is the biggest problem. Also gut feeling. Oh yeah, I made this decision based off of my gut. That's great. If you don't have any data, fantastic, because usually your gut's going to be correct if you don't have any data to back it up. But if you do have the data to back it up, do it. Also data practices, date, like data logging, having your sales team properly use their CRM and actually log things. They say, Oh, I don't have the time to do it. It takes two minutes. My yeah. sales team puts in 60 fields. And it takes two and a half minutes to put in those 60 fields. And that gives us such an advantage because we could see what's going on. Use CRM hygiene is one of the biggest things that you should be keeping track of. And it's, it's one of the biggest things that you should be maintaining because it is literally telling you the story of your customer's journey. Interesting. Uh, and it's so vital. I love that. All right. Uh, any any best hack then, uh, whether it's talent hiring people, whether it's sales, how to sell better um, or operationalizing or scaling of the business? Uh, any one of those that you have a good hack for? Sure, sure. Uh, one of my biggest recommendations is put up gates, gates for your sales team. You cannot pass the deal over to the next deal stage until certain criteria has been filled. So it literally builds that into their behavior where it's not asking them to fill something out. It's that if these, if, if criteria A, B, C, D, E, F, G have not been solved or filled out, it's not ready to move to the next stage because we don't know enough information about it yet. So putting up gates, you go to move the deal over to the next stage and then you need to fill out X, Y, and Z immediately right then and there so that you are tracking all the necessary data that you need to do your job because imagine if that salesperson got hit by a bus god forbid someone could pick up exactly where they left off and continue the deal as if they were never gone which goes back to your crm hygiene yep yeah love it okay uh resources that you write might recommend any books podcasts, guides that we should check out so we can be as smart as you here rob which is an impossibility but how do we do that hey nothing's impossible <laughs> that's one of our company mantras is that nothing is impossible um so i mean we built the impossible so nothing is impossible it's fun that way but uh different books that i would recommend uh for salespeople, flip the script fantastic i mean if you haven't read it you should have read it already because flipping the script is incredible i would highly recommend um, 
uh, Roger Jefferson's uh, new book that he just dropped. It's fantastic. It's called Sales Enablement 3.0. Okay. Absolutely fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and another book that I would recommend, I think I have it like right here, actually. It's not really a sales book. It's more of like an operational book. You know, there we can get that back. It, it is this one. It's Unlocking the Customer Value Chain. Okay, cool. Oh, my background does not like this. So, yep, Unlocking the Customer Value Chain. Love it. And okay. This is by, um, it's how decoupling drives consumer disruption. It's by uh, Thales S. Teixeira. And what it is, is that it's showing the enterprise standpoint on trying to keep, um, uh, on trying to uh, keep new startups in check. So from their point of view, so that they cannot get interrupted by startups that will be a better solution or fit side by side. So decoupling, the best example of what decoupling is, is um, how iTunes just made massive amounts of money because what they did is that instead of buying a full album, let's say if uh, an artist released a one hit wonder, nobody wanted to buy the album and it really dropped sales. They made it so you could buy one song in an album. So you're decoupling it. It's no longer an album. You can now buy individual songs for 99 cents. Yeah. That was one of the strongest power move, power plays that they've ever made in that process. So being able to sell separated services. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, because, and it just makes it easier. You might want to enter here on this easy to buy and then cross sell up, sell in and expand kind of thing. Exactly. And that's what really drives that. So decoupling is super important and it makes it so you don't need to buy a whole suite to get something that's going to fill a gap. Yeah. A hundred percent. I like that idea a lot. I'll check that out. I appreciate that. All right. Um, future trends that we need to watch out for. What's going to bite us if we're not prepared for it? Future trends? Well, artificial intelligence. You saw, like, if you've ever looked at my LinkedIn, so um, it's it's uh, AI is my weapon, sales data is my shield. So arm yourselves, brothers and sisters, because the sales AI revolution has begun. Nice. That's what I have on there. There's a reason for that, because it is going to start driving any every, anything and everything. That's the thing. Uh, it's going to be so much more powerful, where if you think you can do a good job, it can do a better job, because it was built to do that job. So that's the thing is that don't waste your time on, on laborious tasks to do that. And with something else that is trending is that the age of automated messaging is going to die. And I really hope it does because it is all about the spray and pray methodology. And this is why, I mean, for my, my favorite example, uh, we've been talking to quite a few of them, but BPO firms, as well as very large call centers, yeah. their numbers keep getting blacklisted. And when their numbers keep getting blacklisted by doing these robocalls and automated calls, it's screwing them over where they have to give and assign new numbers to all of their people. And even when people are interested and want to talk to them, they're starting a deal, they'll reach out to them. And the person who reaches out to them to continue doing business with them, their number has been blacklisted by the cell phone companies or by the, um, you know, the call providers. Yeah. So they cannot even continue the deal or to do business once they landed that because their number got blacklisted. So that spray and pray methodology uh, behind just contact anybody and everybody in the most automated uh, way possible, that's going to die because they can't even talk to the people to do business with them. Same thing with email marketing. If your email gets blacklisted, if they opt out of all contact, you can no longer email that person and it can really screw up your business. Yeah. One company I was doing sales solutions architecture for, um, we found out that 15% of all of their current customers have opted out of all communication. They cannot be emailed. Oh my gosh. You're going to upsell them? How? <laughs> yeah. That, and and I, I knew that was happening with email, but I had no idea that that was happening with telephones as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, amazing. All right. Well, hey, Rob, this has been awesome. So who should reach out, you, out to you? How should they do it? And why should people reach out to you? 
Well, if you want to reach out to me, I can help you improve your process. That's number one. Number two, I've got some kick-ass technology that'll really help you sell, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's 500 bucks to give it a try. We can correct your sales process for $500. I mean, come on. If you're not willing to spend, how much money do you spend on PPC, right? <laughs> so yeah, let's try to fix that. So anything that is sales or marketing process, I, I can help improve it. And uh, I'm more than happy to chat about new technologies, anything like that too. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. So uh, feel free to do so. It's just, uh, it, you know, forward slash Robert dash Turley. So feel free to connect with me, do whatever you'd like. And then also check out our website, www.whiterabbitintel.com. That's rabbit with two Bs. You'd be surprised how many people try to spell that the wrong way. Um, <laughs> we might actually buy the other domain because it's getting really annoying. Um, but yeah, check us out. It's really super simple. Onboarding takes an hour. That's it. Nice. All right, Rob, this has been a ton of fun. I really appreciate it. Hey everyone, do something about it, right? Don't just take this stuff and 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 say, oh, that was interesting. Let's make some application of it. Um, knowledge for knowledge sake is pointless. So let's go knowledge for application sake. Get after it. Have some fun. Leverage some AI. Stop swearing at all the bad stuff that you're having to do. So hey, thanks everyone. See ya.